Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 20, and I'll read through verse 28. It reads like this. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and the one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And then the ten, and when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our god what i just read you ladies and gentlemen that that endures forever what I just read you, that paragraph out of Matthew chapter 20, is a rather embarrassing incident in the life of ministry of Jesus Christ. Here's what you get here. Here's what you got in this little paragraph. A mother, uh, representing her two sons, comes to the boss and asks that the boss promote her two sons. So the two boys watch as their mama tries to help them in their professional careers. Now, this may be a bit sexist of me, you can determine that, but I don't know of too many men who would sit idly by while their mama went and tried to get them promoted. Well, sexist or not, I think you can say at least this much. What this episode does represent is, at least for the mother and her two boys, her two baby boys, it does represent that they have a complete misunderstanding of what the kingdom that Jesus came to build is all about. Now, I think you can add the other 10 of the 12 disciples. According to verse 24, they're indignant. Why, uh, we wanted those two spots for ourselves. I mean, why, we, why didn't we think of that? We should have asked our mama. To come by and kind of, you know, uh, talk to Jesus on our behalf. So, in light of all this misunderstanding, Jesus takes everybody aside and he seeks to explain to them a few things about the nature of his kingdom, the kingdom that he's establishing. Um, and this kingdom that he's establishing is one that will turn conventional wisdom upside down. And then he tells us what people who are members of this kingdom will be like. 
He uses two words. They both mean very much the same thing. He says there'll be servants. It's the Greek word diakonos, which we get deacon from. And then he goes on to say there'll be slaves. It's a different Greek word, doulos. Doulos and diakonos, they're two different things. A doulos is property. He's completely owned. A diakonos is one who usually gets a wage. But if you're a part of this kingdom that I'm building, says Jesus, the thing that will characterize you is that you will be engaged in some kind of service of the Lord that you say you belong to. Well, that catches them by surprise. I mean, they're looking for a, you know, a, the, the, the hot shot seat. And they get told that the people in his kingdom will be servants, slaves. And so, oh, okay, Jesus, um, is, is, is really? Uh, you know, we weren't really aware of that. But, uh, I mean, what exactly do you have in mind? I mean, um, what is this role that you have in mind for members of your, what does it look like? And instead of trying to explain it, he gives them an illustration of it. And did you see the illustration? It's in verse 28. Even as. People in my kingdom will be a servant even as. Ladies and gentlemen, those are words of comparison. You want to know what the servant in the kingdom looks like? He'll be like, like this. And then you get this statement, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And in, in that verse, ladies and gentlemen, in verse 28, not only do you get the heart and soul of this paragraph, you get the heart and soul of the New Testament. Folks, that statement in verse 28 is a, is a succinct summary of a doctrine that we call redemption. The giving of his life as a ransom for many. Now, we don't do real well with this. This whole idea of serving. Oh, to be served, we like that one. We want to come sit and soak and, and let somebody serve us. Jesus says that if you're a part of his kingdom, one of the things that will characterize you is your service. And would you like to know what that looks like? Well, let me give you an example, he says. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And how did you serve, Jesus? Well, he gave his life as a ransom for many. Now, guys, I want to draw your attention to one word in verse 28. 
I want you to zoom in on the word ransom. It's one of my favorite words in the entire Bible, really. It's really a, a sermon in a word. The Greek word is lutron. And it's used very sparingly in the New Testament. Actually, it's other than here, it's only used one other place. And in that other place, it's in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. And Mark is telling the same story that Matthew is telling. So basically, it only appears once. And, and you know why that's important? Because that word, lutron, is reserved. It's reserved for a special role that it plays. It describes something that other Greek words couldn't describe. So leave the word alone. The word, lutron, is the gospel in a word. One word. Now why is that? Well, it's translated, rightly so, by the English word ransom. Now think about that, ladies and gentlemen. Ransom. Hmm, ransom. Uh, what comes to mind when you think of ransom? Well, it implies that a hostage has been taken. There has been some kind of unlawful seizure. It implies a kidnapping. Um, so, packed into that one little word, ransom, is all of this idea of a kidnapping, a hostage, a price. Because once the hostage is taken, then the price for their release is determined. And the price has got to be paid or the hostage dies. And it's a price that is set by the hostage taker. So the kidnapped, the hostage, is held under this, you know, you've seen it in the movies, held under this cruel bondage, you know, they're, they're tied to a chair and they're gagged and, and uh, they're deprived of certain things. And, 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 and so this hostage is in this desperate straits. But guys, in the New Testament, the cruelty of the bondage was brought on by our own sin. Guys, sin is no friend. Just ask any addict. It's sin that inflicts the pain. The pain that so many of us still remember. Or maybe even still have. Now in captivity, the hostage in captivity, and here comes the very ironic twist. The captivity of the hostage is due to our own choices. 
We weren't kidnapped against, at least we weren't kidnapped against our will. We gladly went because we believed that sin, sin would make us happy. And so sin said, this is how you can have an exciting and meaningful life. And so off we went. And then sin didn't keep its promise. And we ended up in a cruel bondage. And saying, oh, if I'd only known. You know, guys, if I were some kind of treasured crown prince or some kind of valued piece of son of royalty, maybe this would all make sense. But one begins to see the insanity of all this when one understands the nature of the hostage. I am tied to a chair and gagged and deprived because I chose it. I was warned, but I chose it anyway. So I, uh, I deserve this cruel treatment. It's a result of my, of my own choices. Guys, I'm about to say something pretty dangerous here. Um, now, understand, I don't mean this exactly. Um, so just kind of cut me some slack. But um, it was first said to me by a friend of mine whose name is Jim Bland. And um, he said to me one day, I remember, uh, it was like in 1971. And he said to me, if there were no heaven and there were no hell. Now that's the dangerous part of the sentence because there is a heaven and there is a hell. But he said, if there were no heaven or no hell, I would still want to be a Christian because the life that the Christian has is so much more sane than is the life of bondage. You know, that life that some of you are in right now, the life that moves to and fro trying to find some more marijuana, and you know, the life that is just saying, uh, you're told that there's a party, there's a party over in the house. Their parents are out of town. And so everybody goes to the party with something to drink. And the music is loud and the people are boisterous and, and a fight breaks out. And then everybody is drinking like crazy. 
And then somebody throws up in the backyard and, and we get smashed and we go home and get home safely, luckily, and we wake up the next morning and say, oh, wasn't that a good time? Is that the life you want? You can have it. If there were no heaven, there were no hell, I would still want to be a Christian. Because I lived in that bondage for 22 years, ladies and gentlemen. And it did me absolutely no good. I don't want that life. I want out of there. And I want out of there as fast as I can get out of there. Okay, but how? How do I get out of that bondage? Well, go back with me for a moment to the to the price. Um, the price paid as a ransom. So the price is set. Nothing less than this amount will do. There's no, there's no shortcuts. There's no discounts. But you see, once that price is paid, then it is agreed upon that the price paid was adequate. And oh, what a ransom it was. But nobody is going to be released until that ransom is paid. Not before. But when it gets paid, it is enough. But the price is so high. Who can be found to pay it? The text tells you. But even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom. Who paid it? The, the Son of Man paid it. And when he paid that price, he paid it once and for all. And the sinners, the sinner is now debt free. He is debt free and set free. Hell got poured into his cup. And his life was given in exchange for all that was in that cup. Now, to whom was that price paid? Satan. No, no, ladies and gentlemen. 
No, no, the price was not paid for Satan. The price was paid to his father. It was the father who set the price. It is asked, how can God just forget sin? Oh no, ladies and gentlemen, he doesn't just forget sin. Sin is paid for. Down to the last penny. The whole price is paid. And you remember what the price looked like? Hebrews 9 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And that's what our text says. The Son of Man didn't come to be served, but and to give his life. To give his life. And once that price is paid, the Father is satisfied. Satisfied by what his Son has paid. And once the Father is satisfied, He will never punish me because He never punishes sin twice. Now folks, let me wrap this up. But I want to make this very clear because the Gospel is found into that one word, ransom. Six little items. Number one, the hostage. Oh, that would be me. Or you. The cause. My sin. My willful rebellion. The captivity is the result of my own choices. Because I believed lies that sin told me. The ransom, the lutron, shed blood, his life, the payer, the Son of Man, the Son of God. Christ Jesus the Lord. The one satisfied. The Father. And the result is freedom. You know, Paul said it so wonderfully in Galatians 5. He said, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. I think that's called tautology. 
but it's glorious tautology for freedom. Christ has set us free. My debt is paid, and I am set free. You want that life of bondage? It's all yours. But if you want set free, if you want to be set free, when you finally, when you finally are stripped of all that that you thought was valuable, and you're tired of being a hostage, and you know that you have nothing to offer this God, and you are prepared to come empty-handed, then the gospel holds out to you the promise of peace with God. A peace with God established through a ransom paid giving me a life of freedom at last. Folks, when you understand the beauty of one word, Lutron, ransom, then the gospel becomes beautiful. And don't forget, the whole point of His giving us this example was to tell us what service in His kingdom looks like. And so, having been bought with a price, we live the rest of our lives in service to this Christ. Our Father, would you make this, this word to be beautiful to all of us? Would you cause us to see the the intricacies of what you have accomplished in Christ Jesus, that you just didn't sweep our sin under the carpet. You had it paid for through the Savior that you sent. Oh God, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you cause them to see that what they're in need of more than the next breath that they take, what they need is a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. Would you grant eyes to see and ears to hear so that what has been misunderstood in the past would be understood now in all of its beauty? Use us, O oh God, to introduce more and more to the saving work of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.